Grammys, have you heard of Alice Mushrooms? Well, we are absolutely obsessed with this company and we want to share it with you. So Alice has two delicious and instantly effective mushroom chocolates. And no, it's not psychedelic and it's not going to make you hallucinate, but it's even better. So there's a brainstorm for focus and a nightcap for sleep. Alice takes a now and later approach by combining nootropics and herbal supplements with functional mushrooms. The nootropics and herbal supplements create instant effects, which we love because we're impatient, while the long-term benefits comes from the mushrooms. Mushrooms are so good for you guys. Honestly, replace your bad tasting powders and tinctures and pills with a delicious, indulgent bite of chocolate because who doesn't want that? Feeling good shouldn't taste bad. So go to www.alicemushrooms.com or check them out at Alice Mushrooms on Instagram and give them a try. You will literally not regret this organic, fruity body, amazing experience. Welcome back to Right Answers Mostly, a podcast on what you didn't learn in history class but you really wanted to. My name's Claire Donald. My name is Tess Belomo. Happy New Year, Rammies. New Year, same us. Did you miss us? I missed you guys so much. We really did. It, it, yeah, as we were sitting down, I was like, I don't know. I'm anxious. I'm scared, okay? Even when we take like a week off sometimes, we just can feel rusty, but... There's no judgment here. No. And if you have been missing us, you know that you could find extra episodes on our Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, you just pay $7.99 a month and you get two bonus episodes. And that's when Tess and I can like really talk shit, really. We talk shit about celebrities. We talk shit about ourselves. Yeah. Um, We get really personal and vulnerable and like you get to know us better too. Yes. It's an entirely different space if you're looking Mm -hmm. for something that's not, you know, so much history lesson. Um, and it's a special little club. And if you're yes. in that club, you're also on our close friends list on Instagram and shit goes down there as well. It sure does. So just um, consider there's a seven day trial. Yeah. Um, we've never had anyone that does the free trial and then says they don't want to do it. So. That's right. That's right. So catch us on Patreon. But 2024, Tess, how are you? I'm good. Yay. Yeah. It's, you know. You want to tell the kids about the Okay. Okay. Cycles? I'm like, let's cut the bullshit. Let's yeah, go straight seriously. to it. So as some of you may know. Oh we um, interviewed Candace um, from the Real Housewives of Potomac, our queen, our queen icon legend. Mm-hmm. We had that interview in September, and she has always been so supportive of us. She has rooted for us. She has. And we had mentioned when we were talking to her, and then we went out to dinner after with her. We were like, we would love to be bartenders and watch what happens live. <laughs> this woman has been doing all of the work. She does the work, people. She's talented. She's talented. And we got a DM from her and a text from her manager today saying, oh, hey, guys, we'd actually love if you would be Candace's bartenders and watch what happens live next week. Next week, Rami. So that is right. If um, This episode's coming out on Monday. So on Monday the 15th, we will be on Watch It Happens Live Sunday the 21st. That is what we are told. We're heading to New York. We're heading to New York. Claire and I are going to do three days there. We're going to go on the show. You know, like they're, all the things are running through our head right now of like, we need to get glam. We need to get outfits. We've been contacted with some with that stylist. We can't even talk. Um, spray tans, obviously. Spray tans. And also then just like, okay, this is going to be our first TV appearance ever. Millions of people watch the show. It's now on Peacock the day after if you don't have cable. That's right. And also, if you guys are also Bravo fans, which we've we've gotten so many DMs of people being like, I've started Real Housewives because of you. That is the greatest honor of our lives. You don't even understand. You don't understand. We have a whole episode on the history of Andy Cohen as well. So um, we'll re-release that this week so that you can get all of that. It's a great episode. And we also talked a lot about history of housewives in that episode yeah. so you can get like a full 
a full thing, but we're freaking out. We're freaking out. You know that we always say it always goes back to Bravo, so it's just like it literally is going to Bravo. It's going to the mother, the mothership, the mothership. We are going to the mothership, so we're very excited, and we'll be taking you through the journey. We'll vlog all of it and put it on Patreon as well. Yes, and if you are watching it or you watch it the next day, take a photo and tag us, and yeah. you know we'd love to see you guys watching it too we really would um yeah and tag us on instagram and tiktok at right answers mostly like anytime you want and follow us we love you please do uh, well Tess, like should we just honestly yeah, get into let, it let's just get into it so we have talked about this woman she's come up in a few episodes oddly and also i've noticed there's a lot of episodes we've already covered that her story crosses over we love a crossover we on love Ram. a crossover um you guys have asked for it we are covering betty ford mm. We are both um, dressed in like blazer cardigans. Of course, with a crop top for myself. But you know, you have to keep it interesting. <laughs> we have to stay true to ourselves. Exactly. Um, yeah. Tess, what do you know about Betty Ford? I, I really don't know much. I know that she was the first lady. Mm -hmm. I know about Betty Ford Centers uh -huh. um, pretty intimately. Oh, okay. <laughs> I did um, accompany someone once to Betty Ford Center yes. as a support. Yes. And I was there, but I did not know that it was a rehab center. <laughs> yeah, this is a crazy and summer that, camp. That might, truly, that might be a story for Patreon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was there for a few days and thought it was a great time. There was a fun pool. Oh, nice. Um, lots of fun games. Yeah, was it Was it a beautiful center? It was beautiful. Nice. Yeah, it felt very much like a like nice hotel. I think I was in Arizona or Palm Springs. I forget, some desert place. Right. I think I was like eight. Well, and we know that our queen icon legend Stevie Nicks also went to Betty Ford, and we love we love that work yes. that that she has done, and that's kind of all I know. I also didn't know that much about her. I the first time she came into my world was um, remember that show, The First Lady. It was on Showtime. Viola Davis plays Michelle Obama. The mom from Sex Education plays Eleanor Roosevelt, and Michelle Pfeiffer oh, plays Betty Ford. Oh, my God. That's iconic. Yes. And I've tried to find it ever, everywhere. The only place that it is is on Fubo, the sports channel, which is also like $74 a month. And I'm like, excuse me, who do you think you are? That, but you know what's sad is that people will I know that to watch Well, I've watch sports. used every single – I've created so many fake email addresses for free trials during football season, and it, it, they caught me because it's like the same card. Apparently, I did that for Ram. Too. I can get the show for you. We'll talk after. Okay, we'll talk. At, we'll we'll talk offline. Don't want to, you know, say, spill all the secrets. But I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, we now. got you. So that's the first time I was like a first lady that was so that became sober and like shared being an alcoholic is just something that is so not normal. No, I feel like you really can't share any of your struggles as president or right. first lady. It's like everyone's happily married. Everyone. You know, yep, and this like Betty Ford completely changed all of that. Oh wow! So I'm so excited to share her story with you today. Um, I'm drinking a Diet Coke um, because usually we drink a cocktail or we smoke a joint on the show, but to honor our sober queen, we're going non-alcoholic. Tess, what are you drinking? I am drinking none other than Blake Lively's company Betty Buzz, a ginger beer. Perfect for a mocktail. Perfect to mix in with alcohol later. That's um, right. After and January, this isn't sponsored. Um, we tried mm -hmm. and um, check your check your DMs, Betty Buzz. We would like to talk to you still. We have DM'd you guys a few times. That is fresh as is hell. Is it good? Can I try a sip? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to also drink the ginger beer, um, but we forgot a bottle opener. Tess managed to open up one with keys, and then her fingers started bleeding. I am bleeding for this project. Oh, I am yeah. bleeding for Ram. Check us out on Spotify or YouTube. You can watch our videos there. Yeah, you can see our cute outfits. We look we look good. I'm oh, sorry about the gulp and the 
Oh my god, it, it's fresh. <gasps> it's so. She good. said something. Also, the advertising for this company is so good. Oh, so she hot. said something about little bubbles, and I love a little bubble. I I love a tight bubble. Mm-hmm. This is tight. Love that Topo Chico's. Good tight job, bubbles. like lively. You're hot. You're smart. What more could you want? You're an entrepreneur. Speaking of hot and smart, yeah, Betty Ford. So, um, obviously, to cite my sources, um, I listened to the audiobook on Spotify, actually, um, called Betty Ford, First Lady, Woman's Advocate, Survivor, and Trailblazer by Liz McCubin. What a title. No kidding. <laughs> Just keep going on and on. <laughs> it's like everything. She is everything. Um, the PBS doc, Betty Ford, The Real Deal, a Washington Post article by Donnie Radcliffe, and, of course, our stepfather, Wikipedia. Always. We always have to go back to him. Of course. So shall we begin? Let's do it. First episode of 2024. Okay. Elizabeth Ann Bloomer, we will later know her as Betty Ford, was born on April 8th, 1918 in Chicago, Illinois. Mm. Aries. Aries is always an interesting one. On fire. If you guys are watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Kyle just revealed that Big Kath was a fiery Irish Aries. She sure did. And that was a loaded sentence when she was talking about that. I literally gasped. I mean, she was basically like she was the most terrifying person I've ever met in my life. And we know that. And we see that. Yeah. We've been around for a long time. Exactly. To know. Exactly. We see generational trauma. We do. (laughs) And we talk about it here. It all goes back to Bravo (laughs) from the gate. Okay. So she's the third and only, or she's the third child and only daughter of her parents, Hortense and William Stevenson Bloomer. Her mom's name is Hortense. Um, her father was a traveling salesman for Royal Rubber Company, so he was gone often, and this makes her mother very independent from the start. Um, her family moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and this is where she primarily grows up. Um, but she had a very bubbly, infectious personality. She was a natural tomboy with two older brothers. They taught her how to play hockey and throw a football. Um, but her mom was determined to make her, like, a lady. Um, but I just want to say, because when I hear that, like, her mom was – if I were to hear she was, like, really big on manners and she made sure that Betty wore, like, gloves and a hat every time she went out, I would think, like, she's uptight. But she was actually very warm and loving. Oh, that's good. Yeah, she had a good relationship with her mom. So her mom enrolls Betty into a dance class when she's eight years old. And Betty just completely falls in love with it, which is why I'm also wearing pink ballet thoughts. Look at Tessa's frame. <laughs> <laughs> um, she loves it, especially modern dance, though. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. She's a modern dance girly. I mean, what a specific type. Of... Yeah. Just picture, um, what is it? Save the Last Dance. Oh, yeah. The dance at the end. That was Betty Ford on the chair. <laughs> Hip-hop infusion. <laughs> of course. Um, so she struggled to get average grades in school, but she excelled at dance. Which I was like, we've had a subject like that before, Marie Antoinette. Well, we love an artistic, we love a creative queen. That's right. What's it, a left side brain person? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we know that well. We know it too well. This is why you're here. Mm-hmm. Um, she said that dance was her happiness. Um, and she took her love of dance and used it when she worked with children. Um, from a young age, she worked with children with disabilities at the Mary Freebed Home for Crippled Children. Her mother was very active in the community, and her mother was president there. And um, Betty would bring in a phonograph, and she would teach these kids how to move with their body to the music in that way. Oh, when she, how old was she doing that? She this? was like a, a kid to a teenager when she was wow. doing that. That's pretty amazing. That's when you know you're a good person, when you're doing good shit when you're like when no one's not an adult. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, and at the age of 14, she began modeling clothes at local stores and she began teaching dance classes on her own um, because it was the height of the Great Depression. Needed something to get by. Yeah. We'll cover the Great Depression, I think. Like what, what went down. You at guys some have point. asked for it many times. Yeah. It's on your list. I think you should do it. Oh my God. I did put it on the other night. I was like, yeah. 
I like, let's do it. Why not let's the Great Depression? Do the Great Depression. <laughs> let's fucking do it. Um, so in school, Betty was really popular. She just like had that it factor. Her friends were like, we'd wait to see what boys asked her out and which boys were left that we could get afterwards. Oh, um, there's always one. There's always one. She said that, but she loved the chase of the boys. She said, "quote I would set my cap for somebody and would work at it till I got his fraternity pin. As soon as I got it, I was satisfied and would move on to my next victim." <laughs> she has no this is not a good, never mind it's not a good comparison say it well i just watched get out oh god and you know at the end when allison williams has like all of the men up yeah. in frames on her bedroom and she's just eating cereal different um tough transition but when she was 16 it was like her life was you know pretty pretty good even in the great depression they ended up doing okay like they did lose a lot but compared to a lot of other people they were fine um, but when she was 16, she came home and discovered that her father had died. Um, he was found in the family's garage in the car, and the keys were in the ignition, and the uh, car was emptied of gas, and the cause oh. was carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh, my God. However, she found him? She didn't find him. She came home, and one of oh. her family members oh were God. there. Her, I believe her mom found him. It was ruled an accidental death. However, he had taken, I mean, that whole situation, and he had taken out a life insurance policy. Oh, mom, that's what I was going to ask you about. I was on the phone with my mom today. I was like, I was going to ask you and make sure that's the way it works. When you take out a life insurance policy and then someone dies pretty soon, you would think that the death was planned, right? Yeah, yes. you're planning for – Yeah, well, yeah, because wasn't there some case that we were talking about where – There was life insurance Yeah, policy? I think that's usually yeah. the way. Yeah. Well, um, she – she acknowledged later in life that it was probably a suicide. And at the funeral, for the first time, she heard people whispering and she found out that her dad was an alcoholic. And that's how she found out. Oh, so did people think that he was like drunk dry or like- I think that people thought he was that he lost a lot during the Great Depression and he was an alcoholic and he was depressed. Mm, so like she kind of started connecting the dots yeah. a little bit. And she didn't know that he was an alcoholic because he was a traveling salesman. And so he was gone a lot. And so I guess he would drink when he was gone. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of kids being yeah. like, wait, what? And really, just so tough to, like, have to grieve your dad and then find out this information. Oof, yeah. So um, with her father's passing, her family, you know, loses their primary breadwinner. And her mom has to get her real estate license to support the family. And this is the first time that Betty sees her mom doing this. And she's like, she's such a badass. Women mm. deserve equality because my mom is going out and getting it on her own, you know? And this is like the 40s? This is, yeah, the late 30s. Oh, I wow. Yeah. I mean, that's like rare for probably a single mom to be like the breadwinner and then a, have a, a job like real estate is like impressive. I agree. I agree. And Betty thought so too. And it really inspired her. Um, so when Betty graduates high school, she wants to move to New York City right away yeah. and pursue dance. Don't we all? Don't we all? Well, we will be moving to New York. Not moving. That's true. Never we'll say you, never. We'll see you soon, New York. No, just kidding. We're not We're not leaving. No, we're not. But um, by coastal life would be nice. Yes. Um, but her mom is like, absolutely not. I'm not letting my only daughter move to New York right after high school. Um, so instead, uh, Betty goes and she gets accepted to the Bennington School of Dance in Bennington, Vermont. And she goes there for two summers. Great. And this is where she studies under the modern dance legend, Martha Graham. I was just about to be like, was it Martha? It was Martha. It always is, isn't it? It is. I like, did you have to take like Martha Graham classes? Yes, I did, Claire. <laughs> yeah, that go for you. That was the one where that dance teacher hated me. Oh, right. And she gave me a D in modern, in modern dance. dance my first semester of college. And I was like... I'm coming to every class. I'm doing my goddamn best. 
I'm not a like I'm not a I'm professional not a dancer. dancer. My papers are like average. You have to write papers in modern day. It was a very like once a week was a lecture and the other week was like movement. And wow. I guess one time I was texting my boyfriend because we were in a fight and she <laughs> she asked me to put put my phone away. And ever since then I was like, oh, she's gonna she's gonna fail me. And now she hates me. And she did. So that's my experience with Mar- with little Martha. Well, Martha and I do think modern dance is kind of intense and the school seems intense, but Betty loved it. But like they would be dancing literally all day long. She got so sore one time that she had to like crawl down the stairs on her butt. I mean, I might be wrong, but isn't Martha Graham and like that sort of dance practice, isn't it very like mathematical? It, I think so. Like you have to like almost map out like yeah. where you're going in the room and there's certain like movements that you can – and angles that you can do. Yes, and like the way that you hold your body. Well, Jesus. Betty loves it so much that she actually gets accepted to the Martha Graham School in New York. Good and, for her. Yeah, and when she's 20, her mom's like, okay, I guess you can move to New York and try it out. Um, so she does really well at the school. Betty performs at Carnegie Hall, but Martha Graham confronts her and is like, Betty, if uh, to have a future, you've got to give up everything else because Martha knew mm-hmm. that Betty liked to party. She liked the sauce. She liked she liked the sauce. She liked going out and being social with her friends. She was in New York City. She loved to date. Well, who can, I mean, she's a hot little thing that you know. No kidding, is but, exploring. I mean, I just saw Black Swan. Like, you can't have another life outside of dance. Also, imagine being hungover as a dancer. Absolutely not. Like, there's no way. Or like, in, like I'm always like, I can barely go to Pilates if I've had three drinks the night before. Sometimes it hits, and like, it's just a solution, but that's rare. And sometimes it just doesn't. It doesn't. Um. So Martha kind of knew, like, you're in it, but you're not quite in it. You need mm. to settle down. And while this is happening, it's about a year in New York. Um, her mom keeps calling or, or writing her letters, I guess is the time. And it's like, oh, you're missing so much here. These people just got married. Wouldn't it be so nice if you came back home? And then finally her mom's like, please move back home for six months, just six months to humor me. And then you can go back to New York and I'll never say anything else. Oh, and she probably felt guilty because of the dad and everything. She did. Well, her mom did remarry. Okay. Which is nice. And um, Betty ended up calling her stepfather dad. Um interesting glad that it worked out for all of them but she does like she does feel so torn because she's like i do love to dance but also my mom's pressuring me she ultimately goes to martha graham and is like i have to go and martha like martha just knew that she didn't want to give her all was it like the scene in um the hills with lauren conrad (gasps) you'll always be known as the girl who didn't go to paris yeah was it like that yes i think it i think it definitely was damn you'll always be known as the girl who quit martha graham (laughs) (laughs) martha graham seems a little scary i think she would be but i mean how can you not i guess of course i remember the dance studio i went to i feel like every dance studio has a framed photo of martha graham she's such a tall woman yeah yeah um so she goes back to michigan for six months ends up staying she well, actually, and her mom probably knew that's a little trap. I, exactly. That's I'm like her mom does seem very sweet, but also like she didn't let her quite fly in that way, you right. know. Um, but she becomes like the Martha Graham of Michigan. Like she oh. opens like a school and starts teaching all these people dance, and she's only like 22 years old. And then she's being wined and dined by the local bachelors, and she begins falling for a guy she dated in high school named Bill Warren. And he worked in insurance, and they had similar interests, but Betty's mom and new stepdad did not like him, which made Betty want him even more. Is he a bad boy? I don't know if he was 
bad. I think that they were just, he must have had something that her parents were like, this is not the guy for you. Yeah, I don't trust the name. She would have a different guy come knock on the door and then she would leave with him and go get in Bill's car. It was like one of their mutual friends to hide it from them. insanely hot? She was gorgeous. Wow. A gorgeous woman. I I guess like I've never seen young, young photos of her. Yeah. I mean, I I think she's beautiful. You can also tell that she has like, she just has the it factor. Little manic pixie dream girl energy? A hundred percent. And just, yeah, like- I know that it's the Riz guys for charisma, but I said the Raz. So we're going to continue on Ram saying Raz. <laughs> yeah, Betty had the Raz. She had the Razzle Dazzle, <laughs> and and it worked in her favor. Um, so they, um, he was a traveling insurance guy, and he so he traveled a lot for work, not similar from her dad. They end up getting engaged and married in 1942, and when she vowed in sickness and, he- and in health, she had no idea how much those words would weigh would weigh would hold so began what she refers to now as the five-year misunderstanding oh my god what a way to describe a relationship i mean do you think probably one of our exes has described oh, our relationship like that 100 percent might not be the number but yeah like the, sentiment the three-month misunderstanding 100 percent. i have a very clear person in my mind i do as well but um so she for the traveling part he traveled for his work or like lack thereof. He kind of be like, well, now I want to try doing this. Now I want to try doing that. And she has to help supplement their income. So she gets a job at bird's eye frozen fruit food processing plant. And she worked at, at a conveyor belt sorting through vegetables because he couldn't figure his shit out. Which ladies, is, ladies raise the bar, raise the bar. And so she's like, this isn't what I wanted. Like I expected us to, cause it was, you know, back in the day, like she had an expectation that he would have a good job and that she would have kids and have a nice home. And she like had a dance studio. And like, she had that, a dance that studio. That woman's helping out too. Exactly. She had to move away from her people. It's just not the life that she thought she was going to have. He wasn't a dependable husband. It turns out he was also an alcoholic. God, I'm like, who was an alcoholic in the 40s? No kidding. Like, especially after the Great Depression. I feel like everyone was like, that was so terrible. That was, what did we just go through? Like, it rocked everyone, yeah. of course. And it didn't just, like, end so, like, that stayed, you know, the, the troubles followed. Stayed. Yeah, we still feel it, I assume. Yeah. Um, So three years into her marriage, she's like, this isn't working me for me anymore. And then in the 40s, like... Getting a divorce, like, really isn't a thing that people do. And then being a divorcee, like, being a woman, it's like having a scarlet letter. Like, a man can be a divo- be divorced and so whatever. Yep. But for a woman, it's hard. But she knew this is what she wanted to do. Um, so after – shortly after she decided, I'm going to file for divorce, he fell into a coma. He had diabetes and then also had a drinking problem, and he got ill and fell into a coma. So she has to pause her divorce because she's like, I can't divorce this man after he just fell into a coma. And she cares for him for two years. That is like the worst timing imaginable. (laughs) Also, yeah, like what if – I've never even thought about that. What if legally – what if someone's in a coma for like 10 years? Can you not divorce? Or no, there's like a sound mind. I feel like – so at 27 years old, she felt like her life was completely over. And during these two years, she lived upstairs of um, his family home while he was downstairs and he was being nursed downstairs. She also worked multiple jobs in order to support herself and him. Like he was just like in a coma. I think he eventually came out of a coma, but he oh. was so sick still. Oh, my God. For two years. And then you're probably like, God, now I can't be like, let's break up like the second they wake up. A hundred percent. So when he finally gets better at 29 years old, she goes straight to a divorce lawyer. 29 is your sad in return. 
it's all happening for her. It's all happening for her. She's figuring it out. So she was ready to spread her wings. Good. So she got out of the five-year misunderstanding. Now, before the divorce is even final, she's at home, and she gets a call from her friend. And she's like, hey, do you know Gerald Ford? Hmm? Hmm. He wants to take you for a drink. My God. I know. Now, okay, Gerald Ford. He was a star football player at uh, Washington, or sorry, at Michigan, uh, which they just won the national championship. So if you guys are Michigan fans, um, congrats. But um, he got drafted to play professional football for both the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers, but he turns that down to go to law school at Yale. <laughs> hot, so hot, so hot, and also like impossible as like a human. Like, how can you be smart? Was and- he a nepo baby? Um, no, his, his past life, and I know this isn't a, not his past life, <laughs> he was a like, we're going to get into <laughs> his past life. He was a boy on a ship, <laughs> Erica Jane. No, he, his dad, it's, it's a crazy story. Um, his stepfather, he didn't grow up with his biological dad, but mm. it, that comes into play. Go Wikipedia, Gerald Ford's life, but it, he wasn't like super wealthy, but I think he was fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he then, uh, after Yale goes into the Navy and fights in World War II and is like a World War II veteran. Jesus. And then it's now a successful lawyer. Okay. So what a life. What a life. So he calls her, her friend calls Betty up and it's like, you know, Gerald Ford, he wants to take you for a drink. She's like, I'm not even divorced yet. He takes the phone from her friend and he's like, let me take you for a drink. It's like the notebook, you know? Wow. That's caused some controversy in our friend group as well. That sure has. If that was okay for him to pursue her. Per- keep pursuing that, yeah. yeah. Well, it worked for them. They had like kind of crossed paths. So they kind of knew each other because they were both from Michigan. Um, She's, he's like, please have a drink with me. Eventually, she says, yes. They go get a drink that night. And then they start hanging out more, and they really just are enjoying each other's company. Um, and then six months later, they're engaged. Damn. So it was like love at first sight? I think it or was. Or do you think she was just like enamored by the life? I think, I think that they are – I think we all have multiple soul, soulmates, and I think that they are one of each other's soulmates. Wow. Well, well it just fit for them. Yeah. Um, so he proposed and in the book, he proposed before they even said, I love you to each other. But she was like, he asked me to marry him. So I knew that he loved me. (laughs) You know, there's some couples that like, don't say I love you. Oh, I'm like, words of affirmation are definitely, it's saying need that every morning. Oh, it's my girlfriends. Every time I hang up the phone, I say, I love you. Oh my God. Same. You just got to tell them. Um, but he, so he proposes, she says, yes. He's like, I also can't get married till the fall, but I can't tell you why. And she was just like, okay. She was like, I trust like, I like the mystery. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Um, he eventually tells her that they can't get married till the fall because he's running for Congress. And by then, the primary election would be over for him. And he feared that he might be unpopular in the primary election if people found out that he was engaged to a divorcee ex-dancer. Here we fucking go. How did a middle-class divorcee do, do it? it? Betty, 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 I will make assumptions. Why? Okay, sorry. Thinking wasn't me. You know we um, have to bring it back. Yeah, we have to. Yeah, here we go. It's always like, why, why do you care? But uh, back then, even now, I feel like has there people... ever been a president with a divorced wife? Wife. I'm not sure. I feel like that would be, like, controversial. It would. Like, even fucking today, it's wild. I know. Well, I mean, there was Gerald Ford and Betty Ford, but I don't know if anyone else besides them. Yeah. So, um, she was, like, kind of whatever about the idea of him running for Congress because she didn't think he would win. And I also, I don't think that she 
knew really what politics were. She's like, sure, sweetie. Yeah. She's like, go have your fun. Literally, she's like, that'll be cute. And then she was also like, politicians are all old. You're not old, so you can't win. How old was he? He was like, I mean, they. he probably was in his late 20s, early 30s. Oh. Yeah. Probably in his early 30s at this point. He does uh, end up winning the primary. So they, her being divorced didn't set him back. And they set their wedding date between the primary and the general election in October of 1948. They're like, we got to get in there so people are like, I'm wifed up. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and this is where Betty sees what it's really like to be married to a politician, though, because he, uh, she does all the planning because he's out campaigning the whole time. And he is late to their wedding and he arrives with muddy shoes on because the whole day he had been campaigning at farms oh i'd be pissed clean the shoes clean the put shoes. on a different pair of shoes show up on time no to your it's your wedding, wedding day mm -hmm. it's like paris hilton yes oh my god i'm watching paris in love right now and her wedding she was an hour and a half late it's just crazy to me i i wonder if they gave food i would just be stressed they the better with that money they better have but i could also see them being like you just gotta wait Paris, Ooh, let us know. Let us know. Um, so their honeymoon test, this is so funny. Their honeymoon was going to a football game in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and the next night they attended a campaign rally for a presidential nominee. Like, who planned that honeymoon? I know it wasn't Betty Ford. I would not be happy. I literally thought of you when I did that. I was like, Tess would be so pissed. <laughs> literally my, like... If, if I was ever proposed to, like, at a football game or anything. It's not a Anything thing. with sports, do not have it in my romantic realm. Please, yeah. Please, please don't. Betty's sister-in-law later said, with Jerry, you will never have to worry about other women. His work will be the other woman. I'd be like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, is that comforting? <laughs> Literally, and she just leaves her. Like, yeah, just blinking. like in silence. Like, got it. I got it. So in 1949, Gerald Ford was elected to Congress, and they moved to Washington. And it's very exciting for Betty. One year after moving, Betty had their first son, Michael. And within like one to two years of each other, she just starts popping out kids. There's Jack, Stephen, and Susan. Jesus. I know. And I think it's Steve Ford that my mom was like, he is a hunk. Really? He was a hunk. Oh, yeah. Let me see. And um, Susan Ford in the show, Dakota Fanning played her. My God, the show, we need to watch the show. I agree. I never, I've never even seen like a clip from it. I remember kind of, I just think I needed to warm up to it more, but I don't know why it's a Showtime show and they've scrubbed it of all platforms. Showtime is such a mystery. I know. It's so hard to find Showtime. But I have it with Hulu and it's not even on there. Oh, really? Yeah. So I have no idea why they did that. Um, but anyways, it, yes, it was like uh, full of happiness. They had the house with the pool. So all the kids would come over. Oh, love that. The boys were in Cub Scouts. Like um, Susan got into dance. It's oh. just like seems like the American dream. And she, despite all of this, Betty couldn't understand why she wasn't perfectly happy, though. So Jerry was an ambitious politician. You know, Gerald Ford and I are on nickname bases. Jerry. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was on the road sometimes 200 days a year. Well, sweetheart, no wonder you're never with your man. Exactly. You don't have your partner. Um, and as he was getting all the applause, she would start to think, but what about me? Who do they think is making it possible for him to travel all over and making these speeches? So Betty starts drinking to cope. I mean, she's alone so much. And yeah. I also feel like she must have felt how so many stay-at-home moms feel where it's like, I haven't talked to an adult all day. Yeah, and like I'm working so hard, but I'm always just going to be like put down as a stay-at-home mom, exactly. even though I'm doing tons of work. Even though I'm making the world turn. Like exactly. literally. And yeah, allowing your partner to go off and do these incredible things where like you are 
Like, that's because of you. Exactly. We see you. We, we see, see you. you. We love you. Exactly. So one night, she wakes up with, like, a searing pain in her neck. And she goes downstairs because she didn't want to bother Jerry, which is so opposite. When I'm in pain, I'm like, immediately, Corey's getting woken up. Same. Yeah. I'm like, I'm dying. Take me to the ER. Please. So she, the next morning, he wakes up to find her frozen in agony on the couch. And her hand had swollen up. And the pain was just unbearable. So he's like, we're taking you to the ER immediately. Huh. Turns out it's a pinched nerve in her neck. Um, and she had got it because she was trying to, like the day earlier, push up a window. And I think also she was really stressed and anxious. And so it just pinched the nerve in her neck. They put her in a soft collar and give her some medicine and tell her to go home and just to try to relax. But that was like not possible for her. She was in so much pain. So she goes back to the hospital and she ends up having to stay for two weeks. Oh my God. To do like intensive physical therapy. Also, like your neck is such like a dangerous spot. Oh, when you get a crick in your neck and you have that thought of like, I will never take for granted having, moving my head. Oh my God. It's so true. It's just health in general. It's just wi- like wild. And then you forget so easily, but you know. Exactly. Exactly. So when she was released, she was also told that she had to stay in bed for two weeks. Did they give, give her, like, pain medication? So they prescribe her medication, including Valium. And she was worried about the pain. She was like, it, it's so bad. I'm afraid to go out in public and for it to start happening again, for the pain to start. And the doctors told her, just don't let the pain start. Keep the medication with you and take it every four hours. Have you ever taken a Valium? I think so. Every time I go to the hospital, they just give me something new. Yeah, I've taken a Valium once for a medical thing. What a gorgeous time. Is it like you literally like people joke like, oh, the housewives of the 50s were like, I'm floating on a cloud. I was floating on a goddamn cloud. Really? It feels really nice. Well, it's Which funny. is, you know, why you have to be careful. <laughs> why, why you shouldn't be told by a doctor, don't let the pain start. No, and now they it. really manage it so intensely. Well, like, it's funny that you say that about the housewives of the 60s because in the 60s, doctors were giving out amphetamines and tranquilizers to, women's by, to women by the millions. The amphetamines provided a feeling of euphoria and energy with the added benefit of suppressing appetite. Speedy. Speed. Speedy. Speed was everywhere in the 60s. While the tranquilizers like Valium eased anxiety, the pills were so common they were known as mother's little helpers. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) So... Like, what was the point of them giving that out? Just because it was, like, Big Pharma and they were, like, they'll keep taking this? 100%. I think it just seems like such an easy solution. Like, back then, it's just, like, they didn't know what they did. Or they did Like, you're bored, you're a little depressed? Take this. Why not? Make you go up, make you go down. Yeah, what what do you want from us? (laughs) What do you want? Your brain? Just like, what do you want? Um, So soon she begins taking these drugs. And then she begins taking them out of the prescribed dosage and (sighs) drinking on top of that. Like, no one knew. No mixy. Yeah. No mixy. No one knew the Mm -hmm. no mixy back then. Brittany Glanville, you know, really taught me no, no mixing. I mean, I think. Allegedly, Denise Richards might be teaching us no mixie lately on Real Housewives Beverly Hills, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and it's just so sad that these injuries are like sometimes what does cause these addictions. Like, exactly. Would she ever, if she didn't get that pinched nerve, like would she had you know started the pills? Right. And I think that a lot of times with addiction, there it's like a perfect storm, right? Because she was already feeling so lonely. And it's already in there. Exactly. And, this is like a... and, you know, she has a history of addiction in her family. Yeah. But we didn't have any of this information at this time. 
So um, she, it only gets worse when in 1965, um, Gerald Ford becomes a minority leader of the house and his schedule becomes even more demanding. And Betty said she would read these articles about her husband being places and doing all these things. And she said that she realized that she was considered a nobody and she just felt like she had no self-esteem. She started experiencing depression and withdrawal. She was also, she's 47 at this point. She was also starting to have menopause. The change of life. And she the just said she's 47, but she felt so much older. Oh, I know. Sweetheart. And she had done. Why couldn't she go with him to some of these things? Well, who would watch the kids? Oh, yeah. And also, I don't think these things were like. Since, not like fun. Yeah. And since he's not like a president or a vice president yet, I don't think like the wives usually like join. Yeah. Like what that. are they going to do? Like sit in a hotel room yeah, while they go? Like Exactly. Yeah. Um, and she had done what so many women had done at this time where she got married. She devoted her life to her husband and to her kids. And she completely lost her drive and her identity and her ambition. <laughs> there was actually a book that was written called The Feminine Mystique that came out at this time. And it was describing this whole thing. Oh, yes. I think was it Betty for Dan who wrote that? I know. I'm like, who did? What? We're just talking about this in the Gloria, yeah. Gloria episode, maybe. And there was another one that we yes. had just talked about that. So that book was coming out. So people were starting to realize that that's what was happening. And that's what was happening to Betty. Um, she eventually has a nervous breakdown in front of her kids. Mm. It was just like she was inconsolable. Gerald comes back home and some doctors come over. And in her room, the doctor suggested that she should start seeing a psychiatrist. Well, you guys did this to her. You put her on a bunch of pills. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it's always like, yeah, she has this nervous breakdown. It's like, well, what do you expect to happen? Right. Well, thank God she someone suggested that she go see a psychiatrist, which was so taboo back yeah. then. Um, she starts seeing a psychiatrist weekly, and the psychiatrist told her that you need to take, um, take one whole day for Betty and do what you want, be out with friends, or do whatever appeals to you. I feel like that's very, like, revolutionary at that time for someone to say that to a stay-at-home mom. Exactly. To be like, you matter Mm -hmm. and do what you want to do. So she goes back to dance. I can't. I know. And she said being back in the modern dance class with other women, it it was like a pressure released in her. I know. Um, However, she did continue to take pills. And it wasn't something she... But the Valium was being popped. Yeah. And she said she never discussed her pill problem or her drinking um, with her psychiatrist because she thought that her drinking was normal. And it probably was one of those things, probably is one of those things that you have in the back of your mind that you're like, maybe I should bring this up, but I don't want to. We've all had that with our therapist before being like, should I even... And that's when you know that you need to. And then sometimes you still don't. That's, there's no judgment. It's your journey. It's exactly. your journey. Exactly. Um, in 1972, Gerald Ford can see that Betty's starting to not do well. And he's also realizing it's very unlikely he'll ever be Speaker of the House. So he's kind of like, you know what? I should probably retire soon. Okay. Well, nice that you're finally showing up for your partner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know that you have to be making, you know. Making money and ambition. And she did love his ambition. Like, I think that's something that she really loved about him that was so different than her ex-husband. But a balance would be nice. Yeah. You know? Um, but Betty's like, thank God, please retire. It's time. She's elated. He was in his early 60s. She was in her mid-50s at this point. They'd done the work. Now, at this time, we have Nixon as president, mm. and he's under investigation for Watergate. Check out our Watergate episode. A classique. A classique. The vice president is this guy named Spiro Agnew, but Spiro had to uh, resign because in 1973, it had come out that he had been taking bribes while governor of Maryland. Good, good. Classic. So, now Nixon needs a vice presidential or vice president replacement. 
And someone um, from the White House goes to Ford and he's like, if Nixon were to nominate you as VP, would you take it? And him and Betty talk it over. Betty at first is like, you just said you were going to retire. She's like, oh, I thought we're going to have some more date nights. (laughs) Truly. Now you're talking about being vice president. And he's like, well, I'd only be in office till the end of Nixon's term in 1977. Mm. And then I would leave. Mm. And they were uh, they were both also like, it's so unlikely I would get this because he was pretty valuable on Capitol Hill. And then also Gerald Ford's like, well, the vice president doesn't really do anything, honestly. That, so That is true. She's kind of there for show. Yeah, exactly. So they're like, great. And Nixon also needed someone who will be guaranteed to be approved for the replacement of the vice president. And every poll on both sides, Gerald Ford was at the top of the list. He was like very bipartisan, Gerald Ford was. Mm. So he nominates Gerald Ford. So with him being like, it's so unlikely that he'll do that, he does. Wow. So Ford, after he gets nominated, he has to go through confirmation hearings where people basically, you know, grill you to see if you're, like, fit for it. And Betty felt an obligation to go to all of his hearings. Um, And during his testimony, Gerald Ford was questioned about attending psychiatric care. And the New York Times reported this. If one thing was made perfectly, perfectly clear, it is that consulting a psychiatrist or a psychotherapist is still an unforgivable sin and um, sin for an American politician. This is in the seventies <sighs> that they said that. They are you bored? Like, do you have anything else to talk about? There's like all these other things that you could ask to see if someone's fit, and the whole time they kept being like, "No, it's." I think you've seen a therapist. Have you seen a therapist before? You crazy person. That is so crazy. It was such a big deal that they thought that he saw a, a psychiatrist. So after this, Betty Ford was transparent with the news media that it would been it had been her who had seen a therapist. She explained that while her husband had attended two sessions with a psychiatric doctor, those ses- sessions were for her care and not the care of his own. <sighs> it's so... Which is also so brave, again, as a woman. Especially as a woman, yes, because then people are like, oh, she's one of those crazy she's women. She's a witch. Yeah, like, she's oh, a witch. She's everywhere. But yeah, for her to come forward and be like, actually, it wasn't my husband, it was me, now what? Like, what you got? What's yeah. so bad about it? You gonna go after him? Yeah. Do it. Do it. Do, Do it. Do it. So, um, she says, I was advised by the doctor who was treating me for my neck and shoulder and back that perhaps psychiatric help could help me in getting over this pain. And on his advice, I went to a psychiatrist and I found it very helpful because apparently I was really giving too much of myself and not taking any time out for Betty. It was all going to the children and my husband and consequently I was a little beaten down and he built up my ego. Brave season. And, like, even to have to explain that to the public of, like, what you're doing to better yourself and your mental health is bullshit. Bullshit. It's so true. Well, one night, Betty Ford is at home, and they get a call, and it's the White House. And they're like, you're up to bat. They're like, it's happening. It's happening. It's all happening. You are – you. it's all happening. Truly. You will be America's next vice president. You need to be at the White House in two hours. This is, like, literally what happened to us, like, on Watch What Happens Live. (laughs) did put I would say I would I have nothing to wear like what am I supposed to yeah, wear like can I book a spray tan <laughs> yeah, these, these are the question call sugar and bronze right away <laughs> book that spray tan book it honey yep book it in advance exactly you just never know I'm making a mental note right now you never know when you can become vice president it, truly 
So Betty's life changes in an instant. Um, She did say that the recognition her husband was getting was overflowing onto her, and she felt very important, and she liked that. Love that. Like, if you're proud of your man, and then you're like, yeah, I'm with him. That's an extension to me. Exactly. And also being like, oh, who's she? Exactly. You know? So on December 6, 1973, Ford was sworn in as vice president, and Betty is thrust out onto the public stage as second lady of the United States. (sighs) Crazy. So by the time her husband had um, become vice president, she had had 25 years of experience as a political wife, but she was not prepared for the national spotlight. And she didn't love TV interviews, but she saw no reason to filter herself. So she agrees to an interview with Barbara Walters. Oh, here we go. Oh, Babs. Under the condition that she, it, that it not be political. She's like, my husband's political. I'm not going to answer any political questions. She's like, let's talk pop culture. Exactly. So Barbara Walters' first question was asking her thoughts um, on the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision ruling abortion as constitutionally protected. Remember when it was... I remember those days. That was nice. That was Also, nice. Barbara, keeping it light. <laughs> yeah, literally the first question. Like, good God. So she could have said, like, I said I'm not doing any political questions. Yeah. Instead, she said, quote, I agree with the Supreme Court's ruling. I think it's time to bring abortion out of the backwoods and put it in the hospitals where it belongs. And, like, the vice president, I feel like, God, like, a president wouldn't even, like, say that now. No. I mean, you know that, like, back in the day, Biden, like, never even said the word abortion, like, before he ran. That's what I'm saying. Because he's like, I'm a Catholic guy that, like, doesn't really want to talk about it. He, like, just started saying the word abortion. It's crazy. And because so many people are so worried about, like, pissing off the other side. And for her, her husband is a Republican. Wow. We love to see it. Yeah, for her. And that's why both things can be true. Exactly. You can be a Republican and also just support women's basic rights. It's an autonomy. A hundred percent. And you could not want to get an abortion yourself and just support health care for women. And just don't talk about or don't don't get one. Yes, exactly. Then just don't get one. We love that. Love it. So she gets a ton of hate mail from these comments. And reflecting on the interview, she said, maybe I shouldn't have said it, but I couldn't lie. That's the way I feel. And then later she says, and of course that was the beginning. Nobody realized that I had ever had an opinion. I mean, all those children, she couldn't. Like being a mom. Wow. Yeah. So already Ugh, she's like, her. I'm going to say what I want to say. That's good. So the Watergate scandal is in full force. And <laughs> the final blow comes out when the Supreme Court ordered Nixon to turn over the White House tape recordings that linked him to the cover up. Always tough. Always tough. Again, check out our Watergate it episode. It is such a fun episode. We do hot or not at the end with everyone involved in Watergate. And it, it's a fan favorite. It, it really is so fun. So um, on August 8th, 1974, Nixon announces that he's resigned. Just eight months and just eight months after becoming vice president, Ford was sworn in as president upon Nixon's registration. He's like, ah, <laughs> shit. Like, this man, all these like amazing things happened to him without kind of like. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> Ten months earlier, he was talking about retiring and then he becomes vice president and president. There are some people that are just blessed with luck. I mean, this is all kind of luck, and you it know. It really is. He's the only president and vice president that was never elected. He's like, sure. I'll just like in it. the Oval Office, just like leaning back, like ah. It's a good, um, a good example of yes and. That's true. But was he, was he terrible, like policy wise? N- I don't even think he had that much time to oh, do. He was much only there for policy. Like, how long was he? The he, president. He was president, I think, for two years. Okay, so it was quick. It was, it was quick. Um, and people, I think, were pretty disgusted with the Republican Party at that point. Which, hey, 
What has changed? What has changed? So it it was time for Carter, and, and we'll get there too. But um, I don't think I. That's why I tried to look up. Always Googling. Always a little scared when you're talking about a Republican. You know. I know. Sorry to say. Sorry to say, but we said it. But it is what it is. Um. So. Um. Yeah. Now Betty is first lady of the United States. Damn. So in his inauguration, Gerald Ford remarked, quote, I am indebted to no man and only one woman, my dear wife, Betty, as I begin this very difficult job. We love when there's appreciation and public like, yes, talk about it. Talk about the women in your life. Exactly. And also knowing like I don't owe any of you guys anything, but I do have to answer to her every single day. And isn't that the truth? And that truth. Yeah. And then can you just imagine how much has changed so they go from being congressman vice president president so then they have to move into the white house which i have so many questions about the housing quarters in the white house can we get someone on here that we can just ask like the juicy questions about the white house like i want to know like well i want to know what their like apartments are like same same thing with the royal family like i'm watching the crown right now and being like at buckingham palace and it's like so they can change the paint but i think everything else comes out of their pocket to decorate like new furniture new furniture all of that stuff like um susan always wanted a brass bed and so betty wanted to get her a brass bed and they had a family donate it just for the presidential thing but like also the president like doesn't make really any money i know it's crazy i think you depend on like book deals and appearances afterwards because you're not like even if you have people over if it's social you have to pay for like dinner that night like the white house doesn't cover it really Mm -hmm. unless it's like a like a state dinner and they have like approved it and there's but if you're just like oh i have some friends from college that like we want to knock back some that's crazy you have to like pay for the beer that and it's just like so how do you get to your apartment like it's just crazy to me i would love like i have so many questions i want to go oh i know i've never been to the white house our friend just went which is crazy alec Oh, oh, that's right. So Doesn't crazy. Genevieve always go too? Mm. Our um, guest, our, our guest, our Rami Genevieve, um, she did an episode with us. She knows Biden. That's right. Also, baby Sandy knows Biden now. Oh, my God. All these people just – Biden's Why a popular is, guy. All of our friends and family are meeting Yeah, Biden. truly. Biden, come on Ram anytime. We, yeah. Yeah. We'll have you. We we would love to. Yeah. We would have you. Um, so all eyes are on Betty. Um, she said it was one of the saddest days of her life, though, actually. I think she never really wanted to be first lady. Also, they were f- friendly with the Nixons. And I think that they're just like, how could he do this to everyone and lie to everyone? And the, the country is just rocked by it. Because up until that point, you didn't think politicians lied. Just wait till next week. Just oh wait. God. Or the week after, whenever it's going to be. We'll talk. You can um, join Patreon to know what subject we're covering yes, next. But because... it's kind of a presidential theme. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so she's like mourning. She's mourning it. Yes, for sure. But she also said, quote, I figured, okay, I'll move to the White House, do the best I can. And if they don't like it, they can kick me out. But they can't make me somebody I'm not. Oh, she, the pressure... The, like, fear of what's about to come of, yep. like, ridicule and probably overanalyzing her. Because the women always get the, you know, 100%. short end of the stick. And it's like you have Secret Service now. Like, your life is just so different. And I think yeah, feeling feel like cold. you have to have Secret Service is scary, you know? Yeah. Yeah. God. Michelle Obama said one of the things she was looking forward to the most after the presidency was um, driving with the windows rolled down. Because you can't do that as president. I know. That's crazy. So she immediately caused a stir by telling reporters that she and the president would be sharing a bed, something that was shocking at the time. From the Eisenhower um, administration, the first lady and the president had different bedrooms and they did not share a bed. 
When the Fords were moving into the White House, their king-size bed was photographed being moved in, which prompted Betty to say that they had been outed for breaking the tradition of the first couples keeping separate bedrooms. But, like, they're married. Well, people, some people started calling them immoral. Like, what do you want? Is it still the time of, like, sex is just used for pro- procreation? But, I mean, But, like, it's the 70s. Exactly. Honey, it's the 70s. Honey, the you pill. Know, you know, the pill is loud and proud right now. It's crazy <laughs> to be, like... They're immoral for sharing a bed? They have three children. Where do you think that comes from? (laughs) The stork, of course. Of course, of course. It's so crazy. God, this country. I know. This country is broken. And it always has been. It always will be. The, like, the taboo tabooness around yes. sex is just shocking the stigmas that just do nev- kind of never go away exactly but they were always a super affectionate couple um betty was observed audibly telling her husband i love you after they shared a kiss which doesn't seem crazy but that just like hadn't happened before and later that day president ford was caught momentarily patting betty's butt before the press gathered oh, outside of no wonder they had that one bed no no kidding they're like the Megan and Harry before Megan and Harry. Yeah. You know. Well, they're like, we love each other. How? Why would we not? You can, like, hold hands and show that. That I, Wouldn't the public like that of being like, oh, our president is, like, a good husband? In love. Yeah. Ex- I don't understand it. Um, and in a 1975 interview with McCall... Um, the magazine, Betty said that the press had asked her everything except how often she slept with her husband. If they had, her answer would be as often as possible. Horny little, horny little thing. <laughs> the Fords were horny as hell, for sure. That should be the title of this episode. <laughs> Work, working title. Working title, The Fords Were Horny as Hell. Everybody's we send, like, it to, send it to Spotify to promote. <laughs> I feel like these girls keep us young. That's right. Um, so yeah, they're horny. Um, and she also brought back dancing as an activity of the White House state dinners. The Nixon um, administration had previously removed dancing. From I the bet state they dinners. did. They seemed like the worst. Apparently the White House staff was like so happy when the Fords came in because they like, actually said hi. And there was like staff members who were like, the Nixons never even like looked at me. I bet they didn't even want to see what like Richard Nixon looked like when he was dancing. Oh. They're like, let's just remove it entirely so no one has to endure yeah, that. It wasn't actually Nixon. It was like the staff. Yeah, they're like, we think this is a good idea. Yeah, but Betty was like, these dinners are boring as hell. Let's turn up. Let's dance. And dancing often lasted beyond midnight. And she's a dancer. She's like doing modern dance. <laughs> Everyone's just having to watch. Do you think she smoked weed? We'll get we'll get oh. to a mention of weed later. Oh, yeah, that's not the first. But I think that Betty. But I hope so. I would I like to think in a I modern I think like world. everyone probably has that we think hasn't. I think I think so too. Try it once. Let us know. Let us know. If you haven't, let us know. Yeah. Gen- genuinely curious. Yeah, actually. Actually, yeah. Let us know if you've tried it or not. <laughs> just like, actually, just keep talking about it. So weeks after becoming first lady, though, Betty was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh. And in 1974, a breast cancer diagnosis was most often a death sentence. Yeah. Yeah. A radical mastectomy was the best option to prolong life, but reconstruction surgery was so new that it also meant permanent disfigurement at that time as well. So it's really intense. It's also women's health. Like it was not. People were not probably prioritizing that research. At the time, Tess, the word breast was considered almost vulgar or pornographic to the point that in the 50s and 60s, women who died of breast cancer were often listed as dying from a woman's disease. Again, that country is so broken. so disgusting. You can't even say the word breast. Men have breast. Everyone has nipples. We've talked about this multiple times on the show. Everyone has nipples. Some have three. Exactly. Some have more than three. So... 
what's the problem? Isn't that so infuriating That's to hear? just beyond. Mm-hmm. So Betty and Gerald talked about if they should share the news with the world. Um, Betty said, I just feel like there are other women out there going through the same thing and they're scared. And here I am getting the best medical care in the world and I need to talk about this. What a sacrifice no of like kidding. your own comfort. Because you are like scared as hell and ha- to have to share that with the world. And then especially with the stigma too with breast cancer. Exactly. Um, so Betty underwent a radical mastectomy. Mis- it's mis- mastectomy 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 on september 28th 1974 um along with the breast and some supporting muscle the doctors removed lymph nodes from betty's armpits and traces of cancer had been found in three which was especially dangerous at that time like not a early stage i think it was an early stage Mm. but i think it was spreading fast um so again cancer also, cancer and breast were two words that were whispered and rarely had a first lady shared something so personal to the world. But after her surgery, she decided to open up about her her illness because, she said, quote, there had been so much cover-up during Watergate that we wanted to be sure there would be no cover-up in the Ford administration. And it's like, that's dealing with government stuff. <sighs> it's so brave for her to be like, I will share my journey with the world. It really is. Um, she later said, too many women are so afraid of breast cancer that they endanger, endanger their lives. These fears of being less of a woman are very real, and it's very important to talk about the emotional side effects, honestly. They must come out in the open. Oh, what a queen. What a queen. They actually, so after her surgery, her family went to the hospital, and the um, presidential photographer also went, and they released photos of her in the hospital bed oh. to the world, too. And people had just never seen anything like this. She was one of the first public people to talk about breast cancer, and it makes such a massive impact. After Betty's announcement, so many women had gone to their doctors for breast exams that the um, incidences of breast cancer rose 15%, a phenomenon known as the the Betty Ford blip. Overnight, Betty Ford brought breast cancer into the open, saving thousands of lives in the process. I mean, it's like, it is just so true that like a celebrity or public figure, when they do things like this, like when Katie Couric did her colonoscopy Mm -hmm. on live television Mm -hmm. like the numbers of people that did that went up like it is just so impactful so like you know it's not necessary but it's so admirable to like be that vulnerable right because it's like when you watch that you're like well if that could happen to the first lady of the united states who's not who's to say that couldn't happen to me it's true it's so true so she talked about also like examining examining yourself and how you should do that and like um everyone make sure you're doing yourself your self breast exams exactly. not just when you're at the doctor exactly and mammograms were pretty new mm-hmm. and so she was talking about that the fact that it rose 15 percent god that's amazing like how many lives must she have saved incredible in that case um so she sees this impact and she's like wait my i have a much stronger platform than i ever have so i'm going to continue to speak out on issues and she was regarded to be the most politically outspoken first lady since eleanor roosevelt and eleanor roosevelt was a huge role model role model for betty ford i love that me too she surprised the media and the public by explicitly supporting a woman's right to abortion. Love. And she was also a strong supporter of the Equal Rights Amendment. Love. A proposed, what a concept. What a concept. So if you guys don't know what the Equal Rights Amendment is, it's a proposed amendment to the Constitution that would provide for legal, equal, legal equality of the sexes and would prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex. So basically, it just means once you get out into the world, everyone is equal, no matter if you're a man or a woman. There's a good show about this called yes. Miss 
Mrs. America. Mrs. America and Kate Blanchett plays Phyllis Shafley, who was so against the ERA because she was like, "We do we want our daughters being able to go to war?" Like the whole, of course, because like like red herrings on like the whole subject. Exactly, yeah. but it's a great show. It is a great. show. I mean, you want to kill that woman, Phyllis Shafley, um, with Love and Light was such a cunt. Like maybe not with Love and Light. Like yeah. you were like an evil woman. <laughs> she was an evil woman. With Love and Light was such a <laughs> truly. So Betty Ford would um, lobby like. Um, political people or whatever and would use the White House's phone to call and fight for the ERA and Phyllis Shafley is like she's using our tax dollars to fight for this horrible cause and so people would um, stand outside the White House with um, signs that said Betty get off the phone yeah and she took these stances um, despite knowing that it could be a major risk um, of conservative backlash against her husband like, her husband's a Republican president. She was like, I don't care. She actually said, quote, I do not believe that being the first lady should prevent uh, me from expressing my views. I spoke out on this important issue because of my deep personal convictions. Why should my husband's job or yours prevent us from being ourselves? Being ladylike does not require silence. Wow. I mean, even though it's like the 70s, it's still the 70s yep. like her doing this it's like even when like hillary as first lady was doing a bunch of shit people were like eh, you're you're involved with health care they're like she doesn't do that and it's like why not should the first lady get involved exactly at this time first ladies were supposed to be seen mm-hmm. and not heard Just, like look pretty show up in nice outfits exactly and she was very outspoken so much so that the west wing was like we need to control her dick cheney at the time yeah was chief of staff for gerald ford and he goes to him and he's like um listen her outspokenness is out of control you need to tell her to cool it and president ford was like if you want her to cool it you're gonna have to go and tell her to cool it i'm not gonna tell her how illusory <laughs> literally i also love that ford is like scared of his wife too. yeah he's like he's I'm like i'm not touching that ten <laughs> i know better and that's a good that's that's a good part exactly she said that she used um pillow talk like pillow talk time when she knew that he was going to be quiet or tired and vulnerable to push ERA stuff on <laughs> That is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. Like literally saying when he's vulnerable. She's it's like, like post-orgasm. <laughs> like, so you're going to sign this, right? And he's like, oh, right. <laughs> it's so true. We love a woman who knows how to work. Of course. You got to find those moments. You do. Um, so she actually does a 60 Minutes interview um, where she tells her views on premarital sex, marijuana, and abortion. Talk about it. Talk about it, Betty. So they asked her how she would... This is so weird that they even asked her. They asked her how she would uh, counsel her daughter if she was having a premarital affair. Which is so... Like Like dating? That's... See, to me, like, no, like having sex out of marriage. Like, that's inappropriate. It it is inappropriate. But it's not okay to say breast. Your daughter's not the one that's president. No kidding. And also, like gross and like that's none of your goddamn business no no one's sex life is anyone's political business exactly well she said that she would not be surprised or angry if her daughter was or had had an affair or tried smoking marijuana and she said ford further speculated in the interview that all four of her children had likely already tried marijuana and that she herself probably would have tried or probably also would have experimented with it had it been more popular to do so when she was growing up good for her I I love that. Again, like, so radical for the first lady. Like, even thinking about saying, like, 
Michelle Obama being like, I brought, like, actually, I guess there were pictures of Obama smoking weed, so it wouldn't have been as crazy, but it's just a crazy concept. I mean, still, there's very few presidents that are like, I have smoked weed. A hundred percent. And even that, didn't he say it was like hash or something? Yes, then you have to be like, but it was like, either it's medical or hash exactly, or whatever. Exactly. So stupid. It's like from the earth. Exactly. It's a plant and it, it does so much healing, but for a first lady in the 70s to be like, I don't care. So cool. So cool. Um... She was like, my kids aren't interested in drugs and that she trusted her children to make wise decisions, but she would be there for them even if they made unwise decisions. That's what parenting should be. That's that on being a mother. Literally. What a concept. Um, And then, again, she, um, in addition, Betty voiced support for a variety of women's liberation causes. She called the Roe v. Wade decision of the United States Supreme Court on abortion the best thing in the world, a great, great decision. It was, wasn't it? It was. She only knew. So shortly before this interview, Ford announced that he would run for president again, and his handlers tried to make a big effort to keep her out of the spotlight after this interview because they're like, shit, she's going to ruin Mm. everything for us, and that the conservatives were going to be really pissed. And there were conservatives that were pissed, but her popularity soared. It was all these women who were like, finally, it's someone like speaking the truth and like hearing what I think or saying what I think. Um, her poll ratings topped her husband. It's just like a lesson. Like people want to hear from women. Women make up half the country. Yes. Let uh, them have someone on their side. More than half the country, Truly. I believe. 54? Something like who run the world? Girls. Girls. Um, <laughs> she had a 75% approval rating, which is crazy. That like, is wild. That's huge. During the campaign, campaign, many Ford supporters wore campaign campaign buttons with phrases like Betty's husband for president and keep Betty in the White House. Uh. So when the White House sees this, they were like, oh, my God, let's let's push her out there. Yeah, more. Like, OK, go. <laughs> like, Sorry. Do your best. Um, and this was like a huge contrast. There was a huge public contrast between Betty and Nancy Reagan because Ford was running against Ronald Reagan in the primaries. And Nancy Reagan had contrasting views on issues such as drug ex- drug experimentation by teenagers. You know, Nancy Reagan was one who's just say no. Get over it. Get over it. We, I do think we should cover the Reagan administration at some point and the damage that was done. So much. Yeah. Um, she and then also Nancy Reagan opposed passing the ERA, but many of Betty's views were aligned with or even more liberal than Rosalind Carter, the wife of Ford's Democratic um, uh, opponent. Yeah. During President Ford's tenure, Betty persuaded him to appoint more women to the administration than any previous president. And Betty also unsuccessfully tried to convince her husband to appoint a woman to the Supreme Court. But she tried. Hey, that's all we can ask for sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In this world. Um, But with her first lady demands, her health problems continued. She also had osteoarthritis. Mm. And combined with her schedule, it increased her dependency on painkillers. Um, and then she would like start canceling meetings. She started talking really slow. There was one interview where they asked her, they were like, Miss Ford, are you on something? And she said, she was like, yeah, I'm on Valium. Oh. <laughs> it's like, I mean, we love an honest queen. Yeah. But, but maybe don't say it to the, I mean, yeah, no, I don't know. No, shocking. Sh- like, shocking. It is just like, oh, like, I'm glad that you said it. But it's just like, you don't expect someone to be like doing a press tour on Valium. Right. You know? Um, so, unfortunately for them, with the campaign, it wasn't enough, and Ford lost his election to Jimmy Carter in a very close race. And after Ford's defeat, 
um, she actually delivered, Betty delivered her husband's concession speech because he lost his voice. Um, and which like he could have passed that on to anyone, but I think that says a lot about her and a lot about him and a lot about their relationship. Yeah. That she gave his concession speech. Crazy. Damn. This is the only time that a major United States presidential candidate spouse has delivered their concession speech on their behalf. That's amazing. It is. On January 19th, 1977, her last full day as First Lady, Betty Ford used her training as a Martha Graham dancer to jump on the cabinet room table, and the White House photographer was there, and he took a picture of her dancing on the table. <gasps> Did you see it? Yeah. It's really oh cute. Oh, my God. It's, they were, like, walking through the White House, and she was like, I've always wanted to dance on that table, and she just goes up there and does it. I love that. I know. Such a queen. So, Betty and um, Gerald, it's Gerald, right? Not Gerard? Is it Gerard Ford? Jerry. That's why I say Jerry because in my notes I think I have both. What's that actor's name? How's Gerald Ger- Gerard Bal- Brettler? I might have been saying his name wrong the whole Gerard, time. But that's why we're on nickname basis. That's why he's Jerry. I, yeah, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't just either. say Jerry. Okay, it's about Betty anyway. Exactly. Who cares? Yeah. So she's everything, and he's just Ken. Literally. So Betty and Jerry moved to Rancho Mirage, California, to retire. Chic. She continues to lobby for the ERA. He continues to work, but it it was a good time, but it was also a very lonely time for her because he just like he can't sit still, and he continues to travel and work a lot. She doesn't have her first lady duties like driving her anymore. Um, and she grappled with empty, empty nest syndrome by taking as many as 25 pills a day. And then by evening, she added before and after dinner, dinner vodka tonics. 25 pills a day. Oh, God. Yeah. She tried to, you know, combine all these pain medications with drinking. And her family can see that she's not handling it well. And her kids said that it was like watching a robot in slow motion. Oh, my God. I bet. Yeah. That many pills with alcohol? Yeah. And her family says they were in complete denial about it, and they've later come out, and, like, Jerry was like, yeah, I was a huge enabler. Like, that's what you did, you do as a spouse because you're in denial yourself that something's wrong. Yeah. Um. So it was, like, in the White House they saw it, but afterwards it was an alarm going off that something's not right here. And her, Su- her daughter Susan arranges an intervention, and interventions are very new back then. It was, like, not something that was the norm. And on April 1st, 1978, they all gather in her living room. April Fool's Day of all time. Yeah, have a little bit more. <laughs> Goddamn. Like, do it the day before or wait one more day. I just feel like April Fool's Day is not and the An Aries season, that. too. Wow. It's her birthday. I know. Truly. So she's quite angry with them when they sit down. And they have, a, they have it's her kids, her husband, and her assistant, and, like, two doctors. And she's like, how dare you criticize me after all I've done for you as a wife and after all I've done for you as a mother. So she really takes it hard. Yeah. I mean, defensive is the first step. Of course. Of course. Um, But Jerry's love for her really calmed her down. She kept putting a wall up and getting angry. And he just held her hand the whole time and just kept saying, Betty, we love you. They have the the prologue in the book um, is her intervention story. And it's. Their love was really sweet. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah. So two days after the intervention, um, it says two days after the intervention on her 60th birthday, but that's actually not her 60th birthday. But one of those, Betty Ford checked into a treatment program at Long Beach Naval Hospital. Um, when she was admitted, she courageously allowed her doctors to tell the public about her drug dependency. But it wasn't until later that she would admit her alcoholism and discuss it with Barbara Walters in 1978. Damn. 
Yeah. And it was like a shockwave to the country. Like, this is a disease that's kept very secret. There's so much shame around it. And here's a former first lady who seems to have everything together admit that she was an alcoholic. And also, like, when you think of an alcoholic, even now in your head, think of an alcoholic. You think of a... A man. A man. Washed up in, like, a ditch. Dirty. Someone that's, like, drinking out of a bottle. Like, and I think just recently people have even ideas about alcoholism. It's, like, not like you're drinking before in the morning or you're sneaking drinks in at work. Like, it has so many different forms. Yes. Exactly. So many different forms. So her announcing this made it okay for men and women to ask for help. Yeah. So she goes in, she gets sober, and three years after recovery, she raised millions of dollars to open up a pioneering treatment center. And she wasn't comfortable that the fact that they wanted to put her name on it. Um, she was just like, it's a great deal of responsibility um, for patients, for how patients turned out. And also, like, three years in, I'm so freshly new in my recovery. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. But her husband really encouraged her to do that. And also they were like, women will feel safer going to a rehab place if a woman's name is on there. Totally. And like what we talked about at the beginning of the episode, like the family aspect of it, it's like it feels like a little bit more maternal and comforting and safe. It does. Not only did she put a face to addiction, she opened up the first rehab center to dedicate an equal number of beds to women as to men. Amazing. She saw that many of these treatment centers uh, cater primarily to men. Men. So she set out to ensure that her treatment center was welcoming to both men and women. They pioneered gender-specific treatments, separating the therapies and living quarters of the men and women. They found that women discussed certain issues. They found that women didn't discuss certain issues with men in the room, and that men often felt like they had to be like macho and also not be vulnerable if there were other women in the room. Still, I mean, still happens today. It's like why so many men go to male therapists and women go to yep. female therapists. Like- exactly. I do. I wonder how they are approaching the gender issue now yeah that is yeah that's very true maybe you can specifically ask for yeah certain yeah accommodations exactly yeah and I, it's probably a little different now she seems so her and I'm sure her legacy is she was so with the times and with to- the people totally so. I'm sure they really catered to like the individual now you 100%. know 100% like I feel like you just did not see that yeah and through her work uh, that she did at the Betty Ford Center she tackled the stigmatized issues of HIV AIDS during the HIV AIDS crisis uh Betty recognized the link between drug abuse and AIDS. She got involved in the Los Angeles AIDS Project, AIDS Project and in 1985, Betty received the Los Angeles AIDS, AIDS Project Commitment to Life Award. Her accept, acceptance speech spoke hopefully of the prospect that attitudes towards HIV AIDS would shift, being destigmatized as cancer and alcoholism had. Well, thank God she's doing something because you know that Reagan was ruining everything. Yes, and she later wore her AIDS ribbon pin to the 1992 Republican National Convention. I love that because you know yes. that people it's there. Yes, going to people off. I yes. love it. Same, same. Um, she continued to support gay and lesbian rights throughout her lifetime, speaking out against military discrimination and in favor of same-sex marriage. God, I mean, she really doesn't sound like a Republican. I know. I wonder if it was a different time. Like, I feel like, well, right. That's mm-hmm. a good point. It, yeah. And also, like, I don't think... That she was involved in politics at all, and then she ended up marrying a Republican, you know? And they disagreed on a lot of stuff. Yeah. And she continued to push him. And, like, Republicans didn't 
used to be so much of like this means this is what you believe socially like they've used different tactics like women's health and gay rights to like I think get Ray- Reagan religion exactly I think Reagan changed everything and then Trump really changed everything yep. you know um and again like this is a bipartisan thing in 1993 feeling they would have more impact together than as individuals Betty Ford and her former campaign rival Rosalind Carter joined forces to urge the White House and Congress to include in any health care reform legislation being written coverage for mental health and substance abuse so having protection for mental health and substance abuse Um, and she received the Presidential Medal of Freedom Betty Ford died of natural causes on July 8, 2011, three months after her 93rd birthday at the Aww. Eisenhower Medical Center in Rancho Mirage. Oh, she lived a long life. She did. Wow. After all the things she went through. I mean, after taking 25 pills a day that you can live until you're 93, good for you. No kidding. Um, and I'll leave you with this. Uh, she's perhaps best described in former First Lady Rosalind Carter's eulogy uh, for her Betty Ford was someone who was willing to do things a bit differently than they had been done before. Someone who had the courage and grace to fight fear, stigma, and prejudice wherever she encountered it. Betty Ford's transparency and activism saved countless American lives and inspired new generations of women to speak out about important political matters. President Ford himself admitted that when the, uh, the final tally is taken, her contributions to our country will be bigger than mine. Oh, what a, like... Wow. That's Betty Ford. I love her. I I, love her too. I'm very inspired by her and just like really love what she did for this country. Me too. And like I think she's a good example. I mean she she said like with the ERA like so many people are like you're shaming women for being housewives. Like she's such a great example of feminism Mm -hmm. that she's like I have three kids. I love being a housewife. I want to give women the option to be a housewife exactly like we don't have to put all of us in a box and like she wasn't talking down to any group of people when she was doing it which is you know I think that can be rare too yes and like the fact that her husband was a Republican and that she disagreed with him a lot and that instead she was like I know exactly I'm gonna get what I want she challenged him and they still had like a beautiful healthy relationship and it takes a lot for like a man in that position of power to say like I owe it all to my wife and she was a better politician than I was and a better person than I was like that's that's big like remarkable it is it is and I'm just like so grateful for her contributions and yeah I'm just really inspired by her I really am too I'm so glad we started off the month with her well done Claire thank you 2024 I mean yeah truly gorgeous yeah and yeah we just love her wow well done thank you well done we hope that you guys are happy that we're back we're so happy that we're back yes we have some um, amazing episodes lined up. Again, we're staying a little political with Tess's. But you can join Patreon to find out. We're going to start announcing the month subject ahead on Patreon so you have something to look forward to. So exactly. that's another little perk you get. And next week is like scandal, honey. Scandalous. I cannot wait. And I'm also scared. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Always a little scared and a little excited. That's Ram for you. Of course. Um, if you're still here, please follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Right Answers Mostly. Join our Patreon, which is in the show notes. Um, leave us we haven't had a new review in a while you can be featured in our newsletter if you write us a fun review on Apple um, give us five stars on everything and please send in more recommendations we're just trying to go based off what you guys are recommending now literally all the ones that are coming up are just what you've told us to do so we're listening we're listening we always do kids and we love you so much happy new year happy new year